How much do you know about pregnancy and alcohol? The reality may surprise you. Alcohol exposure while in the womb may cause fetal alcohol spectrum disorder or FASD in unborn children. It is more common than many people realize. It may lead to lifelong physical and developmental impairments such as problems with memory, attention, cause and effect reasoning, and difficulties in adapting situations. For such an impactful disorder, it is rarely spoken about in the popular media. This podcast will take you behind the scenes to chat with the people who understand FASD and find out about this surprising reality. Welcome, welcome everyone to the first episode of our little podcast. My name is Kurt Lewis, your friendly neighborhood interviewer slash podcaster. I'm sitting down with Louise Gray, the executive officer of No FASD Australia. Louise, how does it feel to be part of our first episode? Well, <laughs> that's a big responsibility, Kurt, but I am glad that you are devoting a series of of um, episodes to a podcasts on FASD because it is a really important topic and it will continue to be an important topic in Australia because it is a it's a disability that we are hearing more and more about and we need people need to know a lot more about alcohol and pregnancy definitely definitely and if I can help facilitate that then that would be awesome so let's let's crack on with this tell us about no FASD Australia and about your role in it well, no, FASD Australia actually stands for the National Organisation for Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder. So many people do think it stands for no FASD, which is really just a happy coincidence and perhaps a play on the letters. But we are the national organisation and we were founded 20 years ago by a parent and carer who was really one of those pioneered people in her field. She fostered a child 37 years ago and she and her husband were both very experienced parents so when they discussed some of their concerns about her developmental delays with the social services department at that time they were more or less you know sent off to parenting classes and and really basically not really given the attention that they knew that they needed for this little girl. But as Sue herself says, she's very stubborn and she's very persistent. She basically went and sort of researched herself, realised what the problem was through the early days of the internet and getting onto websites overseas. So she effectively was a pioneer in Australia for fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and has continued to play a volunteer role in the organisation which she founded, which now has grown into a an online helpline for parents and carers and we also have a really well-informed and well-curated website and we provide a lot of resources to the general community and parents and carers. Anyone really who wants to know more about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder can find it on the NoFASD Australia website. I had a look when I was first looking up fetal alcohol spectrum disorder online and yours, No FASD Australia, the website was the set, was the second one on the page. So it's definitely a very big resource and it's very useful for people who know nothing and just want, just want to be informed about what FASD is. I was just wondering, how did you first become involved with No FASD Australia? 
I lived in a, in Canada in the 90s and work with uh, foster children who had fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, so I was aware of it. Mm. And then in coming back to Australia in the early 2000s, I was completely struck by the fact that FASD or FASD was clearly around, but no one seemed to know what it is and it, it wasn't even being named. So I came across Sue Myers, the founder of our organisation at that point, and then went on to do some study in the field and basically joined the board of the organisation. And I think because fetal alcohol spectrum disorder is such a complex disability, it's you sort of learn about it, you stay in the field and feel very reluctant to let it go because you know what a challenge it is for people Hmm. and um, people who are affected by it really need all the help and support they can get. Definitely. What are your goals for the future for No FASD Australia? Goals for No FASD Australia, I think, Hmm. is to explore and strengthen the supports and the interventions that we can assist families with because there's some proven practices and some promising practices and there is a developing body of evidence about what works for children, uh, families and adults living with FASD but there's Mm. still a lot more work to be done and you know for us that presents an area of great interest. I think research wise even though we are not a research organisation we want to support the FASD Centre of Research Excellence in some of their research projects because, you know, it's it's very critical to have an evidence base on a topic like this so that you are, you're speaking with facts rather than beliefs. Definitely. I couldn't find many statistics, especially to do with Australia, to, uh, with FASD. Yeah, a lot of people don't realise the prevalence of any disease can be quite difficult to determine because effectively you would have to run some sort of screening test on, you know, a whole population or a sample population that represents the whole population. Australia hasn't done any of those mainstream prevalence studies yet, but they have been done in Canada and the United States and Australia on average drinks quite a bit more as a nation than either Canada or the US. So it would stand to reason that our FASD rates would be at least the same, if not higher. And the rates in the US and Canada in mainstream populations, so we're not talking special populations or populations that are viewed as having you know, higher rates of addiction or anything like that. We're just talking about the mainstream population. And it's generally accepted that it's at least 4%. The UK are saying pretty much the same thing. I think they've actually pegged it at greater, they may have even said greater than 6%, but that's actually a lot of people. And if, you, if you're good at your sums and you multiply that percentage out across the population, it affects many more people than is currently realised. I was wondering, in your experience in working with people impacted by FASD, what are the major myths you found? What are the common myths that you hear about when dealing with people who are very unaware of what FASD is? There's a lot of myths in Australia in general about alcohol in pregnancy. So that's one of the most common observations is people think that because there used not to be warnings, and in fact, Mm -hmm. up until 2009 in Australia, there were guidelines about the number of standard drinks that you could drink if you were pregnant. 
and mm. advice that sort of implied that while it was better not to drink, it was still actually providing some guidelines about drinking. So I'm guessing is what you're saying is your consumption of alcohol. There, there was no, like, they were saying that you're allowed to drink a certain level of alcohol. Yeah. I don't know. What is the safe level of alcohol you can drink while pregnant? Well, that's the $64,000 question. And basically there is no known safe limit. Mm. And in exactly the same way that you would not ask, you would not say to someone, it'll be okay to have one cigarette a day or mm. cigarette a week. It's the same thing. It's a, it's a very small person inside a woman and any alcohol is not going to be useful for that or it's not going to be beneficial for that pregnancy but as to what leads to an FASD outcome very broad general metadata studies point to one in 13 pregnancies that are exposed to alcohol leading Mm. to an FASD outcome but that's pretty rough data because Mm. it's too it's too difficult to get accurate data on amounts of consumption so absolutely the message is that there's no safe time for alcohol consumption during pregnancy, during any part of the pregnancy, even starting from conception. And there's no safe amount. No, no, um, none whatsoever. Yes, and there's no safe type. That's another myth. There's sort of this, you know, I think perhaps there was one research study that pointed out that red wine might have a marginally beneficial health outcome in general. Well, alcohol is alcohol so it can be dressed up and flavored in many different ways but it's all alcohol and it all has the same effect but yeah there's there's, actually there's there's many other myths that could be a a lot it's a long question with a long answer really because people assume that it's an aboriginal problem and it's not it's a mainstream problem aboriginal people have actually stepped up to the plate and there's been some really important research and some really significant initiatives in Aboriginal communities mm. to address FASD. And that creates mythology that it is that it is an Aboriginal problem when in fact it's not. Assumptions that it's only alcoholic women who are, women who are diagnosed as you know severely dependent on alcohol will have an FASD outcome. And once again, that's, that's not true. So, and I guess one of the other prevailing myths is that you know, it's, there's a willingness in society to blame mothers and blame women when alcohol is rarely consumed by people alone. It's often consumed in groups. It's part of group settings and group situations. It's offered in social occasions. It's woven into every aspect of life. And it's really important that women receive really clear information and lots of support, particularly if they have developed any kind of dependency on alcohol. So it's not the mother's fault then if they consume alcohol right pregnant. And I know it's no, an obvious there's... bad thing to say, but is it, it's not the mother's fault. Is that what you're saying? Yes, I am saying that it is an outcome of either a lack of information, mm. a lack of awareness, poor information, uh, receiving the wrong sort of advice and encouragement from friends. I mean, no one would encourage a pregnant woman to continue smoking. People are put under tremendous pressure to have a drink. You know, oh, it'll be okay. You know, you can have one drink. I drank through my pregnancy. You know, my child is okay. And there's Mm. those sorts of stories that people tell each other without any actual 
knowledge and not enough not enough fact it's not the right message to, to be giving we don't give out a message that it's okay sometimes to ride in a car without a seat belt exactly you know yeah. australians are very compliant we always put seat belts on you know, generally mm. there's a very very high rate of um, compliance with that type of legislation uh same with driving you know australia's had spectacular success in reducing the incidence of drink driving and you know raising people's awareness that that's a risk and we need to adopt as a nation the same willingness to in, to support healthy pregnancies that are alcohol free definitely that sounds like something we should definitely should do i noticed fasd has just become more and more of a problem i haven't heard much of it in the past but i heard i'm hearing more and more about it right now how come it's more of a problem now than it has been in the past I think you're hearing more and more of it right now because organisations like No FASD mm. and like the Commonwealth Department of Health and mm. like the FASD Hub and many of the other child development services are doing their job, which mm. is raising awareness. FASD was first identified in 1973, so it's a great mystery as to why 50 years later not enough impact has been made and in fact the rates of alcohol exposed pregnancy globally are actually increasing because uh, women's consumption of alcohol is increasing on a global basis even if there are if there might be pockets in some countries where it's being reduced but there's always been FASD it's just that Mm. it wasn't recognized certainly historically there have always been people who are developmentally delayed and it's it's now we know what much of that is and it's it's even more important that that awareness is there i was looking on your uh, website and i saw that you have this language guide it's a very very comprehensive language guide it tells what language should be used when speaking about fasd and it got me thinking why is language important when discussing fasd I think language is always important when discussing disability because you know you only need to look back at ways that people who had a disability were described historically. So I think you know realizing that that those kind of labels are very harmful and very hurtful and certainly with FASD you know that some real damage can be done because another myth with FASD that is that because it's not curable therefore there's no point in doing anything about it or diagnosing it Mm. and that's you know that's shocking i mean we in no other medical case do we ever adopt that attitude i mean you Mm. know if someone has a a severe and aggressive tumor that's likely to be terminal we still don't adopt as a society an attitude well you know there's no point in doing anything because it's a it's a terminal tumor so FASD you know there can be many things done with early diagnosis and the recognition of the disability can change people's lives and I've not heard of anyone who didn't want who didn't appreciate getting that information Mm. and I know you know, for some people, it's been really mind-altering for them to realise that it's not their fault. It's that they were born with brain damage. So, but yes, that's where that negative language comes in. If you start to use words like it's, you know, permanent brain damage and it's incurable and it's the, you know, the mother's fault. It's not the mother's fault. It's the alcohol's fault. 
and the alcohol is the substance and that's the mm. you know where the focus needs to be uh in addressing a disability like this because i imagine it can create a lot of stigma especially for the mother i imagine Interestingly, stigma is such a problem in FASD that the professor who originally researched FASD, Professor Kenneth Lyon-Jones, he's still incredibly active, still runs a clinic at the University of San Diego in California, and his research interests have now branched into stigma because he, he tells the story really of when he first when he and his colleague, who's since passed away, uh, David Smith, when they presented their paper to a paediatrician's conference, they were howled down first off because no one sort of wanted to believe them. But they thought themselves that it would be a relatively easy fix once people realised that the research was telling the truth and then some French research came out which reiterated the, the same results that um, Smith and Jones had. And he thought it would be so easily fixed and he sort of realised that the complexity around alcohol in society and issues related to stigma and blaming mothers for it, all of those sorts of things have actually made the problem much harder to solve. I was just wondering, is there more that I could do or anyone listening at home can could do as individuals or as like a community to prevent, prevent people from being impacted by FASD? Well, I think you're already doing a lot. I think having <laughs> having podcasts and uh, looking at different ways to get messages and information out to different audiences mm. is a really important step. And different, you know, different age groups, different settings, because you know it's all very well to put health pamphlets in a doctor's office or mm. um, you know that kind of formal setting, but it needs to be talked about more. I think everyone should question and examine the, the role that alcohol plays in their lives. Like no one should ever have to explain why they don't want an alcoholic drink. And yet you will find that in Australia in social settings, people feel they need to say, oh, I'm not drinking because I'm driving. I'm not drinking because I am pregnant. And certainly a lot of women do once they realize they're pregnant, mm -hmm. they do stop drinking. But it's just alcohol is so accepted that people feel they have to justify it if they're, if they're not drinking. And really, it should be the reverse. You should not have to explain that. There should always be a really good range of non-alcoholic choices and interesting choices because I'm sure, you know, many women who are pregnant will tell you of, you know, going to places and, and the choices are, you know, Coca-Cola or warm water as yeah, an alternative. Any woman of childbearing age is well and truly needing to to have alternatives and not to be you know not to feel that they need to explain why they're not having alcohol so i think personally that's something that everyone can do and increasing i think just sharing the information and increasing the, the knowledge that people have and the awareness that people have and not telling people that oh it's okay to have a drink or i had a drink you won't know you may not know I suppose we're very judgmental as a society. We we like we love our alcohol. Australians love their alcohol. Historically and even now, you go out to a bar, you go out to a pub, everyone's having a drink. But yet we we're willing to judge those who who have FASD. It's it's a very 
it's a very interesting kind of conundrum there. Like, well, not kind of conundrum, perhaps, but just an interesting, no, let's say ironic. Ironic's probably definitely the word, a rather ironic situation that we're willing to stigmatise the people who yeah, believe that's quite fascinating. You've hit the nail on the head. It's a very... Yeah, I wonder too. It's it's almost like the the greater support that alcohol has mm. in society, the more willing we are to judge people who've had a negative outcome from it. But um, but I don't know what the you know the answer is. I'd like to thank you, Louise, for agreeing to sit down to chat with me today. Um, thank you for coming and just uh, investing your time. I hope you enjoyed the experience. <laughs> Yes, well, thank you, Kurt, and uh, best wishes with your series. And uh, I'm sure you'll do you'll open up uh, interest in the topic. I'm sure to a new audience. So thank you on behalf of NoFasD. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pregnancy and Alcohol: The Surprising Reality. Please come back next week for the next episode of our little podcast. Any questions about today's episode? Then please check the links in the show notes for more information. Pregnancy and Alcohol, The Surprising Reality was brought to you by Kurt Lewis and No FASD Australia, all rights reserved. For more information about No FASD, then go to www.nofasd.org.au.